All right, well, happy Frontier Days, everybody, or should I say, happy Frontier Days end. Uh, just depends on your perspective, you know, different people see it a little bit differently than others. Uh, but uh, I want to let you know that we are looking at a new uh, book this week. We finished 1 Corinthians last week. We have 2 Corinthians this week. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand in the air. Someone will bring one to you. I uh, thought this would be a good time to remind you what we're doing as well. We're trying to get through the New Testament in five ish years, uh, which means we're doing one chapter every week. It's a lot to cover. Sometimes you get multiple topics in there, but I think it's uh, worth it. I think the Word of God just edifies and builds up the people of God, strengthens us. And so as we work our way through it, I think there's uh, great stuff in there for us. Second Corinthians is an interesting book. Uh, although there are some people who have like their favorite verse and some of the favorite verses to preach come out of this book, not many people work their way through this book because it is a little bit of a strange type of book to work through. Um, in fact, one of the guys I was uh, following this week basically said uh, he did the research. I didn't do the research. I'm trusting him. But he said of all the New Testament books, less commentaries are written on 2 Corinthians than any of the others. I don't know how he did that math. I don't know how he came up with that, but it, it does kind of make sense. When you look at uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, um, it falls out into the first seven chapters of 13 is the Apostle Paul defending his ministry. And then you get, a pray, uh, you get an interlude there uh, where he begins to talk about financial giving, which everybody in the church loves that topic, right? Uh, and then you go back, chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13, he goes back to defending his ministry. Well, we all believe in the Apostle Paul. We already get you, dude. We don't need a whole lot of defense of your ministry. Uh, so it might seem like a bit much as you're going through it, but uh, what you can find in here, I think, is just some of those great verses, but to see those great verses in their context, there's a couple of them in here for me uh, that I've been powerful in, in verse uh, Verses 3 and 4 here in chapter 1 and then verse 12 as well. Those have been verses that have been kind of anchors to my ministry and anchors in my own life. And so we'll get to see those in their context, which I think will be helpful. Uh, another thing I think is helpful is if you spend some time reading through these passages. Uh, so it is great that you're here to hear the word. Uh, but like next week, we're going to be in chapter 2. I would suggest just every day of the week, either read through or listen to somebody else reading for you. Uh, chapter 2 every day so you can start to let the Spirit of God begin to work in your life and some of these verses will just come alive to you once you hear them a number of times. Uh, and then the other thing I like to do, particularly when we're in a book where uh, the topic isn't as exciting as some people think uh, would be the most exciting things. One thing that's really helpful is to look through the passage and see everything that it's telling you specifically about God. Uh, in this particular passage, as I do the study, I look for repeated words and the word God comes up a lot, as it turns out, in the Bible. Huh, go figure that one, right? Uh, but each one of those things, you have an opportunity to learn something new about, in this case, God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. So I came up with 10 things that this tells us about God, and six things about Jesus, and one thing about the Holy Spirit that are in this passage. Those aren't the topics of the passage, but they're just things that Paul weaves in there that become the foundation of this passage. And so as we see Paul kind of talking about the struggles that he's having and the way that God's comforted him, you can see things about God in there, even though it may not be the specific topic that Paul's covering. So that's probably enough intro. Paul has his own intro here that I should get to. So verse one says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, 
to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A pretty typical introduction to a letter from the Apostle Paul, just from Paul, and in this case, Timothy, to the church at Corinth, but he's expanding it beyond that. He's saying not just the church at Corinth, but to all the churches throughout Achaia, because the way they would do this is they would write a letter to a church in a specific city, Uh, But then that letter would get passed on to different churches to read through, uh, something that we kind of stick with today, right? Like we're still reading somebody else's mail here today. That's what's going on 2,000 years later. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. We're just reading that letter and gaining from it. It's something that's been going on for a long time. Uh, The other thing I think that's powerful in this uh, is Paul makes clear there in verse 2, he's speaking on God's behalf. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, what you might not recognize here is that there is this whole struggle going on behind the scenes. The people at the church of Corinth have, have kind of lost trust in the Apostle Paul. They just don't see him as great as he once was. And so all throughout this letter, you're going to see Paul continuing to kind of defend his ministry before them. Uh, One of the questions that comes up is, is Paul really even an apostle at all? Is he really somebody that was sent out by God? Well, he answers that right away from his perspective. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, which means he's been sent out to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ, and he is an apostle by the will of God. This wasn't Paul's decision for his life. This wasn't something that he wanted to do. This is something that he was called to do by God himself. It's the beginning of that defense. And they're really going to be picking on Paul, by the way. The things that he's going to have to defend in here are going to be surprising. Uh, One of the things that they're going to be mad at the Apostle Paul about in this chapter uh, is that he didn't visit them. He said he was going to come visit them and then his plans changed and he didn't get a chance to visit them. So they're mad about that. They're going to be mad later on that when he does do ministry in Corinth, uh, that dirty dog doesn't even ask for payment. And what kind of apostle doesn't ask for payment? He must not be a very good one because you only pay the good ones, right? And so if he's not asking for money, he's probably not a very good apostle at all. Paul's answer to that is, oh, I'm so sorry to have offended you by working for free. The other problem that they're going to have, they're going to say that Paul's not even a good preacher. He's just not that good like the other apostles, or as they'll call them, like in the NIV, for instance, the super apostles, (laughs) as if he's just somehow less of an apostle. Uh, They're upset with the apostle Paul that when he comes to to town, he doesn't bring letters of recommendation with him. The other apostles come to town, they bring letters of recommendation. And without a letter of recommendation, how do we know you're even any good at this preaching thing, Paul? How do we even know that you're really a good minister, a faithful minister? Paul says, well, it was good enough when I led you to Christ. I started the church there. In fact, he's going to say, and that's really going to be one of the themes of this book, when I go to other churches, I tell them about you in order to gain favor in their eyes when they see the work that's been done in Corinth. So it's just kind of this weird thing that the church he planted, they're really just not a big fan of him. And so he's going to have to just bring this defense. Uh, there really is just this, uh, this, this broken and shattered relationship between Paul and the church that he started there in Corinth. It's really sad to see, actually. Well, we pick up in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, Paul's ultimately in this paragraph leading to this point where he can say, the reason I didn't visit you is because I was having a really difficult time in Asia. But he's going to use this as a, as, a, as a launching off point to discuss this idea of being comforted by God. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a verse that for me personally there in verses 3 and 4 have been pretty powerful. This reality, and if you're, if you're making your own personal list of things you learn about God, uh, is that God is the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. The Father of mercy, he's basically saying, if you want to know where mercy comes from, mercy comes from God. If you want to know where comfort comes from, true comfort comes from God. And he's just establishing for them a very simple pattern. He's had some miserable things happen in his ministry, but God comforted him in those things so that he can now comfort the Corinthians when they have miserable things happen in their life. Just a really simple pattern. And it's a pattern that rings true for a lot of people, uh, that you can do a better job of comforting somebody if you've been through the same stuff that they've been through, if you've had the same difficulties they've been through. Uh, for me, it was kind of one of those things that I didn't expect in ministry. I'll be honest with you, when I uh, started out in ministry, uh, I really thought to myself, ministry just comes down to preaching on Sunday. And if you can do that, you're going to be okay. So you spend the week getting ready for Sunday, and then on Sunday you preach, and then you just kind of start over, and you're just going to do that over and over and over for the next 70 years, and that's just the way the ministry life goes. What I didn't expect was all the other stuff that comes alongside it, the stuff I didn't expect. For instance, the thing that blew me away is I've had way more effect in preaching at funerals, I think, than I've ever had preaching on Sunday mornings. I've seen hundreds of people come to Christ preaching through funerals. I can't name 10 people that have come to Christ on Sunday morning here at this church. I mean, on, I, I, for whatever reason, at times, I'll preach at a funeral and everybody wants to get saved. I preach here on Sunday mornings and I get a couple head nods. Hmm. And then a couple head nods, like, mm, like falling asleep, <laughs> nodding off type head nods, right? But... It's just one of those things I didn't expect, but here's what I think happened. I don't know if you guys know this. Some of you have been around for a long time do know this, but the very first funeral I ever preached here was for my own brother. It's the first funeral I ever preached as a pastor. That's not the way you really expect your ministry to start out, to be honest with you. You don't expect it to go that way. And I actually remember I was uh, the associate pastor at the time, and I asked the senior pastor to do the funeral, and he said no. And I'm like, What? can't say no. And he said, no, it would be more important if it came from you. And I'm like, important to who? Like right now, I want one thing from you in this whole world. But he said, no, you need to preach it. So I had this chance then to kind of think through a funeral for the first time, but it wasn't just somebody that I didn't know, just some random person. It was somebody that I'd known my whole life. And so while he was coming to the end of his life, I was preparing, what am I going to say to his friends? 
some of whom I know? What am I going to say to his family, my family? All of a sudden, I had to deal with the fact that this hurts me too. I'm suffering in this circumstance. And I had this kind of really interesting time where I was going through it. You know, maybe you've never had to mourn anything before. But it turns out your emotions are not your friend during the time of mourning, just so you know. Like one day you're like, no, nah, I'm fine. We're getting through this. And the next day you're just like a mess. You're angry at the world. You're angry at God. You can't figure out why the stupid computer won't do what you asked it to do. Why am I angry? <laughs> I'm not angry at the computer. And you're just kind of up and down. I had all these kind of weird things happen. And, uh, but it ministered to me as I was going through this to have to kind of figure out what do I say to somebody who's going through this? Oh, wait, I'm the somebody what do I say to me? And I remember even uh, going beyond the funeral, there was just times after that where I just had that up and down of emotions. And I don't know how this works out in anybody else's life, but at that time in my life, it worked out as anger towards God. I remember just being so anger, angry at God, just going through the grief of all of it. I remember it just, it just threw everything off in my life. Uh, just a personal tidbit there for you guys. If you're grieving pretty bad, not a good time to drive. I remember being one block away from my destination, completely lost. I'm just like, I just pulled over to the side of the road and I'm like, I don't know where I am. And I call my wife and I'm like, I'm lost and I'm alone and I don't know how to get home. <laughs> and she's like, what does the road sign say? And I'm like, sixth street. She's like, you're aiming for fifth. I'm like, oh, that's only one over. That's not so bad at all. I can do this. Ah. <laughs> uh, there was another time when I was actually leaving the church. I was going down Ridge Road, white-knuckled, squeezing the steering wheel as hard as I can, yelling at the top of my lungs at God, where are you? Do something. Say something. Help. Just like screaming out to God, angry at him. And all of a sudden, it just struck me like, he didn't do this. He's not who I'm angry at. God's not the one that took my brother. A couple of drunks did. Why am I angry at God? He didn't do this. And it was like this thing happened to my faith where my faith at one point was, I'm having a good day, God's great. I'm having a bad day, God's terrible. To all of a sudden where I realized that God is good regardless of what happens in my life. That's who God was. And so my faith in him decided, or I decided along those lines, that I'm not going to be mad at God when I'm having a bad day and happy with God when I'm having a good day. God is good regardless of what happens to my day. You see, I didn't lose my salvation. Jesus still died on the cross for my sins. I still have the promise of eternal life. Every good thing in my life was still there. And it was still a gift from God. Well, this is this crazy thing that happens then. Once I understood the difficulty that I went through in my own suffering, then I could minister rightly to people that were suffering. I couldn't have done it right before. It just wouldn't have had the same weight. But I could communicate understanding some of the things that they might have been going through. Now, I can't know everything that they were going through, but I could, I could understand some of the things that they were going through. 
Everybody's situation and circumstances are different, but there's this value in being comforted by somebody who's been there and done that. Let me give you an example. Uh, I'm probably not the guy to comfort you if you're the mom who's at home with two kids and they're colicky and they're crying all the time. I've not survived that. I don't know much about that. When that happens, I usually go, oh, babe, I got to go to work. Uh, Time to go. I'll catch you in a couple of hours. Like, I'm not the one to comfort you in that. You don't want to hear from some man in that moment. You want to hear from another mom who went through that 10 years ago and still loves Jesus. Like, how do you still love Jesus today? I want to hear from you. That's the one you want to hear from. You want to hear from the person who's been there and done that. That's what God is saying through the Apostle Paul here. He comforts people. And this is the part that you need to catch. He comforts people so that they can comfort others in similar circumstances. So in the way that God comforted you, you now have the ability to comfort other people in their times of need. And so as you look back at some of the difficulties and the struggles that you've had in your life, as God brought you through those things, he was equipping you and preparing you to bring other people through those things. That's one of the things that God does when we suffer. He later uses it to build up and encourage and strengthen and comfort other people. Well, we don't know much about the suffering that the Apostle Paul was going through, but we can kind of draw some conclusions. Look here in verse 8. We do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia that we were burdened excessively beyond strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in anyone, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope and he will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Paul was going through some pretty bad afflictions in Asia. Now, first, let's get this corrected in our brains. When Paul says Asia, he's not thinking about Asia like we are today. When we say Asia, we think of like China and things like that. When he said Asia, he was talking about what would be modern day Turkey for us today. And he actually was there at this time. He was in the city of Ephesus. You might remember this from the end of 1 Corinthians 16. There in verse 9, he said, a wide door for effective service has been opened to me and there are many adversaries. So he was ministering in the city of Ephesus. And it was one of the reasons he had delayed his travel. And now six months later, the church in Corinth is angry because he didn't show up when they expected him to show up. So they're angry at him. And he says, you don't even know the trouble I was having in Asia. When I was ministering in Ephesus, you don't know the trouble I had. And he doesn't even tell us what the trouble he had was. He just tells it what it felt like to him. He was burdened excessively. It was beyond his strength. So much so that he despaired even of life. He wished he was dead. He says it like this in verse 9. We had the sentence of death within ourselves. Now he's not talking about a sentence of death outside like the people were trying to kill him. He's talking about inside. 
He felt like he was dying. That's how burdened he was by his circumstances. So overwhelmed by what was happening to him there in, in Asia or in Ephesus or wherever it was that he was serving. He was so overwhelmed that he was burdened excessively beyond his strength, despairing even of life. I don't know if any of you have felt that before. I can't even actually comprehend it. I've despaired a lot of things before. I've despaired excessively. I've despaired beyond my own strength, but I don't think I've ever despaired of my own life. But I know some of you have. I can't imagine what that's like. Because just the despair I've had, my own personal moments. Uh, one of the things that pastors don't talk about a lot is uh, that there's this strange weight that comes with ministry that you don't expect. Uh, there have been times I've been in so much despair over the ministry that I've been involved in. How do I represent God well? How do I care for all of these peoples and all their different needs and all the different, you know, people are sick all the time. People are dying all the time. There's always fights in marriages. There's always struggles within the church. It's just nonstop. It's constant. It just keeps coming day after day after day. And every time you think you can take a breath, 10 more things are gonna happen. You just always feel like that. And you just get to this point where you're just like, I cannot physically do this anymore. There's just no energy left in the tank and I'm just done. And I've had those moments of despairing that, but never felt like that about life itself. And how overwhelming that must be. I remember a time I was uh, so done with ministry. It's Wednesday, I'm supposed to preach that night. Uh, but instead of thinking about my sermon, I'm walking around the church property thinking, how am I gonna craft my resignation letter? Like, how do I tell people I'm just too weak to do this? And so I start doing, and this is just a habit I've had for years, as I, when I would walk the property, I would just listen to verses. And so I'm like, I don't know what verses to listen to today, so I just start with Psalm 1. And I made this mistake, I usually listen to the NASB when I'm doing that, but I just happened to accidentally click the message. Completely different, in case you're curious, by the way. It's like a, a very loose translation. Um, but uh, for whatever reason and whatever uh, cosmic thing that God had going on in that moment, he used that to bring me back to ministry life. Just listening to Psalm 1 as I go for this walk and I'm just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm just gonna listen to Psalm 1. And it's just the weirdest way you would word anything. I mean, he's just like, oh, God bless you. You don't hang out at Sin Saloon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, you know what? I don't hang out at Sin Saloon. That's actually true. And it's just going through all kinds of weird things like that. And then at one point it says, oh, how blessed you are because you vibe to God's word. And I'm like, I think I do vibe to God's word. That's true. <laughs> and it was just this kind of this moment of comfort where I'm like, it ends with you're like planted by streams of water. And you just think of this tree planted by the water and how it's just soaking it up and it begins to grow to fruitfulness. And I'm like, wow. And this moment I went from being like, I'm done. I'm just done with this foolishness. I can't do this anymore. Just like that, a flip of the switch. A poorly paraphrased word of God in that moment. That's how powerful the word of God is, even when it's poorly paraphrased. It just changed everything. And it put me in my right mindset. And I went back to this place where I'm like, and this was the phrase that caught me. And I remember I actually started to just... I don't cry, but I leaked just a little bit of awesome out of my eyeballs that moment. 
And it said, oh, how pleased God is with you. Oh, it was like refreshment for my soul in that moment. I went from despair to being comforted by God. I've shared that story with other pastors and I wonder how many of them were like just on the verge. And then they heard that. And they're like, I think I can do this for another week or two. I can do this. If that fat guy up there can do it, I can do this. The other cool thing at the end of this is it's not just that God is is bringing hope to him, but he says in verse 11 to the Corinthian church there, you also joining in helping us through your prayers so that many thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. You see, Paul saw that the church, even though they were struggling with him, he felt like and knew that they were praying for him. Now, it's not so much that their prayers were any better than anybody else's prayers. It's always based on who you're praying to, right? Like, that's this, this weird thing that I always like to connect with. I know that sounds mean. This, I'll just say it now. This is going to sound mean. But when I have stuff going on in my life and somebody says, I'm going to send good thoughts your way, I'm like, what does that do? <laughs> You're good now, right? I was just thinking about you. I didn't fix anything. And if somebody says, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'll pray to my God. I'm like, don't even mention my name to your God. He didn't even know anything about my business. But when they're praying to the God, And now God's hearing my name and my circumstances, not just from one person or two people or three people or four people, but a a congregation of people lifting up my name before the God of the universe, my circumstances. Now there's some power in that prayer because it's going before the God who, as he says back here, raises people from the dead. Paul says, I despaired of my life so I could only trust in the God who raises the dead. The God who can raise people from the dead. It's the only person I can trust in this moment, Paul says. It's the only hope that I have. And I like this, how he goes back and forth here in verse 10. Who delivered us from great peril of death and will deliver us. In other words, Paul's saying, he's delivered me before. And I trust that he will deliver me again. Now, there's a doctrinal thing we have to throw in there. I just want you to grasp this. Sometimes God delivers you by taking away the problems. Sometimes God delivers you by giving you grace in the midst of your problems. He doesn't always solve your problems, right? He sometimes just strengthens you to stand in the midst of them. Sometimes... Sometimes God solves things by taking you out of this world and he delivers you eternally. But in all things, Paul said, I was at the point where I couldn't trust anyone. I didn't have any more strength. All I could do was hope in God because he's a God who raises the dead. He's a God who's delivered me in the past and I know he will deliver me again. 
Paul's been through it, huh? Verse 12, again, he's still defending himself really here. In verse 12, he says, Our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially towards you. For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand, and I hope you will understand until the end, just as you also partially did understand us, that we are your reason to be proud, as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Paul's defending himself here just by pointing out what his proud confidence is, and in part his proud confidence is in the way he did ministry, there in verse 12, but also he has confidence that he'll be able to stand before God on the day that Jesus returns and be proud of the work that he did in Corinth and the work that the people of Corinth did after he was gone. There's just this confidence there. Now, verse 12 is a verse that really struck me, and I've used it as kind of the theme for uh, my personal ministry. And so, I don't know how long ago, maybe a decade ago, I brought this verse to the elders and I said, this verse needs to describe our ministry. And now it's in our church's value statement, strategic plan stuff. But there in verse 12, I love this. This is his confidence. This is the testimony of his conscience. Four things. In holiness. How did he minister in the world? In holiness. Second thing. In godly sincerity. Third thing, not in fleshly wisdom. Fourth thing, in the grace of God. Those are the four things that he wanted to saturate his ministry, that he was confident in, that holiness. He he didn't cut corners by sinning to make things happen just the way he wanted to. No, he did things in holiness. And so I said to our elders, that's who we need to be as a church. We need to be in holiness. We need to be operating in holiness. Not in, uh, I'm sorry, in holiness and in Godly sincerity. In other words, as sincere as you can before God. I'm doing these things out of sincerity. I'm not just doing these things for my own purposes. I'm not just ministering for my own benefit. I sincerely want to minister the way that God wants me to minister. Again, these are ideals that I've asked us as a church to try to meet those ideals. I don't know if we always hit the mark. I think sometimes we're godly sincere, but godly wrong. Right? Like we're trying our best to do the right things and sometimes we just mess up. But the motivation behind it is oftentimes to do the right things, to do it in godly sincerity. Uh, that next one, they're not in fleshly wisdom. That's a tricky one. Uh, particularly if you have a very logical brain. Like in my mind, I can usually logic my way through pretty much any scenario to get to a logical conclusion and say, I have now figured this one out. I got this one, God, you stand by, I'll let you know when we need you, right? Like I just wisdomed it out, man. Just thought through step by step. These are the actions we need to take. And I'm not telling you you don't need to be logical. I think logic is a good thing. You should be logical. But sometimes we, we rely too much on worldly wisdom and not enough just on the things that God would ask us to do. Sometimes God does things or asks us to do things that are not logical. That to the world would not seem wise. Because his purposes are not our purposes. 
The things he's trying to accomplish are not always the same things we're trying to accomplish. Sometimes he wants us to do things. If you ever don't, if you ever don't understand that, just read the book of Hosea. God said, Hosea, I need you to marry a prostitute just so the nation of Israel can know what it feels like to be their God. <laughs> Could you imagine Hosea going to the church? Yeah, God told me I need to marry a prostitute. And the pastor saying, you know, <laughs> there's probably better ways to go about this. <laughs> and it didn't stop there in Hosea, by the way. She went back to work after they got married. And God said, it's cool, just pay for her time. I want you to go be with her, pay for it, and then have some kids. See, this does not make logical sense, does it? But God had something he wanted to do in that. It's powerful. But it doesn't always make logical sense. The world might look at that and go, that's just wrong. We don't want to be based on fleshly wisdom, though. If we're doing things in holiness and godly sincerity, God can do amazing and powerful things through those things. Here's what happens, though, just so you know how this works out long term. Uh, as believers, we start to fill ourselves with the Word of God. And that takes time, right? We start to fill ourselves with the Word of God. But what happens is God then begins to use His Word to reprogram the way our brains work we begin to think differently. We begin to think more like God. And as we do that over time, we begin to act more like Him. We begin to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus do? What was He accused of? Well, you're hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, tax collectors, even worse, right? And Jesus said, yeah, the sick are the ones that need a doctor. See how that's different than worldly wisdom? And I think it plays into that last piece, but in the grace of God. You see, if you're doing God-type ministry, it's going to be overflowing with grace. And you're going to find yourself ministering to and caring about people that just sometimes don't deserve it. That's what grace is, though. It's unmerited favor. It's a gift that you don't deserve. And it's the same gift that we received in salvation. It was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't say, once this world gets its act cleaned up, then I'll be going to the cross. But until then, y'all on your own. Just not having it. That's not what he did. It was while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, he saved me when I didn't deserve it. Which means if I'm like him, I need to be gracious and loving to people who don't deserve it. So what's that going to lead to? In our church, at any given time, if we're doing our job there should be some people here that we're just not sure we're comfortable with. To which I say, yeah, now we're cooking, right? And over time, just like God did in your life, he's going to change them. And then they're going to start inviting their uncomfortable friends to come with them. 
That's the beauty of the gospel. That's how it worked in my life. That's how it worked in your life. Why are we confused about that? Why do we have this weird mindset that everybody that comes to church should already have it all figured out? We come here because we don't have it figured out. We need the grace of God. That should be something that just flows through our ministry. Verse 15. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing. That is to pass your way into Macedonia and again from Macedonia to come to you and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? But as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but is yes in him. For as many are the promises of God, in him they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us and gave us the spirits in our heart as a pledge. Now, that's a very complicated sentence, but here's the deal. Paul said, I actually intended to pass through your town twice. I was going to like zoom on through, and then on my way back, I was going to zoom through again. And the great deal was you guys were going to help pay for the way. So like when I came to your town, you'd give me some more money so I'd get to the next place. When I come back through, you give me some money so I can get home. That was the plan. And they're upset that he didn't follow through with that plan. And he says, look, I didn't do this intentionally. It wasn't like I like thought to myself, I'm going to do this thing, but nah, maybe I won't do this thing. Uh, essentially what he's saying here, if I could say it differently, maybe this will help. He said, that was my plan until my boss, Jesus, said, I got a different plan for you. So that they could fully understand what's going on here. Because Paul is surrendered to Jesus Christ, and it seems like, if you look at the context here, that Jesus was basically saying, I've opened this wide door for ministry for you in, in Ephesus, and I need you to just stick out here just a little bit longer. I need you to continue to minister here, because it's better for God's kingdom, not just for the one church there in Corinth. That God had some sort of a better plan there. I love this though, Paul is kind of leaning on this idea that it was in fact God who was doing this and he's pointing out that he's being led uh, not just by random thoughts of his own, but he's being led by the Holy Spirit. And so that's where he tells us there in verses 21 and 22, now he who established us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a pledge. This is a cool promise for us as believers. One of the promises, one of the ways we know that God will fulfill his promise to us is that we have the Holy Spirit in our life. That's one of the ways we know God will fulfill his promises to us. When we start to see the Holy Spirit working in our life, it will be evidence to us, it'll be teaching us that God's still working and still has plans for our future. Ultimately, those plans are for our salvation. So how do we know God's going to keep his promise? He's like, I'm going to give you a pledge of my promise. I'm going to let my Holy Spirit dwell within you. And so we as believers now start to recognize the Spirit of God operating in our life, changing who we are. The way that works out is actually very practical. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is 
Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, in whatever order you can remember it. I don't think I got that right, but I got all nine of them. That's the important thing, right? The fruit of the Spirit. You start to see those things growing in your life. Uh, That, for me, was a big deal. Like, when I first started to recognize this newfound love that I had for people. It wasn't that I didn't love people before. It's just that I didn't notice they existed, (laughs) frankly. Unless there was a good joke in it, right? Like... I came to Christ in high school. I was already sarcastic. That wasn't something that came with the preaching. That was there before, just so you know. And so it was just kind of like I was in my own world because that's what teenagers do sometimes. (laughs) They're just kind of in their own world, right? And so it didn't really have much impact. But over time, I started to recognize this new empathy and this new love for people. And I remember it on two specific occasions early on in my faith when it really started to stick out. Uh, The first was I was working in a grocery store And uh, everybody around me was mocking somebody that was there. And in that moment where I normally would have actually joined in and probably won with the best mockery of the day, in that moment, all of a sudden, I loved that person. And I actually cared about what happened to them when they left the room. And I wondered how God was going to minister to them. And it was like I was like taken back. I was like, whoa, where did that come from? The other one was uh, a few years after that, I was driving by East High School. I graduated from East High School and just kind of shaking my head, thinking about all the, just the punk kids must be in that building. (laughs) And I remember this thought goes through my mind. Who's going to tell them about Jesus? Some of these kids are dying and going to hell. And they don't know it and somebody's got to tell them. Where did that come from? Oh, wait a second. The Spirit of God is operating in my life and changing who I am now. I'm a different human being because of it. You also see it in the gifts of the Spirit sometimes, but just this idea when you start to see the Holy Spirit operating in your life. Now, I know how it works out. Some of you are like, I got saved last week and I don't have any of those fruits of the Spirit yet. Saved last week, still impatient this week. When do I get my fruit of the Spirit is patience. (laughs) Patience takes time. You're not going to notice it in one day. (laughs) That's how patience works. But over time, you slowly begin to see the Spirit of God operating and changing who you are. And frankly, if you've been a Christian for a decade or more, you kind of look back and look like, that's who I used to be? I don't even like that guy anymore. That's not who I want to be. There's these changes that are happening in your heart and your life, and they're slow sometimes, but the Spirit of God is working, and when you recognize it, you grab onto that and like, this is what Jesus talked about. He said he was going to change me and conform me to his image, and I'm becoming more and more like him. That's the promise of God, the pledge that he gave us. Anyway, Paul finishes it up this way in verse 23. Uh, pretty, he's going to call to the witness stand in his defense, the, the expert witness of the day. I call God as witness to my soul, that to spare you I did not come again to Corinth, not that we lorded over your faith, but are workers with you for your joy, for in your faith you are standing firm. And it's almost like, and you'll kind of catch this going forward, that he's kind of worried about two things. Number one, if he would have gone to Corinth in the midst of his despair, that that would have been a discouragement to them. Number two, it seems like They've kind of had a difficult relationship up to this point, 
And it's kind of like as a parent, when you tell your kids to go to their room, sometimes it's punishment from them, but sometimes it's just so that you don't break them in half. You're like, I'm just going to need a minute. (laughs) Just like, you just go to your room and I'm going to stay in my corner until all this cools off. Then we can have a conversation. And it almost feels like that might be part of what the Apostle Paul is doing with the church in Corinth. He's like, look, I, I didn't come to visit you just to spare you. Just to spare you. But he calls God as his witness. That his reasons for not visiting were good. Well, anyway, there's a lot stuck in that one chapter there. Uh, but I just want to pray for you guys. I think God can speak to each one of you individually as he uh, feels and as he desires is best in your life. Uh, but but uh, at least for me personally, I want to pray for those that are maybe despairing of their own lives, uh, that feel like they have the sentence of death within themselves, uh, that God would give you some comfort and some relief today. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word and how it can minister in my life and how I've seen it change my whole outlook in a matter of minutes. I would pray that this would be that moment for somebody in the room today. Uh, that maybe they walked in here overwhelmed and despairing, but uh, at just the right time and in just the right way, you allowed them to hear just the right things. Uh, that you could comfort us today with your words. Father, I pray that you would also encourage us that in the ways that we've been comforted, we can comfort others. Uh, that you would open our eyes to the world around us, that we would see people who are struggling in ways we used to struggle and we would just begin to care for them and to love them. We would show them grace and mercy uh, that we can show them a way to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, even in that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Jesus who came to save us of our sins, who is our Lord that we're surrendered to, even in those words, that you might encourage people to begin to do the things that God has asked them to do. Lord, help us to recognize your Holy Spirit working in our lives. That we can stand firm in the promise that one day we'll be able to stand in your midst with no no fear of judgment, no concern that you don't love us, but just stand there And enjoy the God who has loved us and given us mercy and comfort and salvation. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.